Welcome to the game. It's a beautiful thing. With Mark Duffy. The son of a darkened shearer and a self-described ball-playing jack-of-all-trades. We shouldn't be surprised, should we? Who lit up footy fields in the southwest before becoming WA's preeminent AFL scrub. My goodness! And Glenn Glenn Quarterman. Wow-wee! A proud Victorian parked permanently in the west who would have played 300 AFL games if not for his incredibly small hands. Goodness gracious me! Together they are Duff Duff and Quarters. You know who? And this is your favourite footy podcast. It's unbelievable! Yes, hello, Thursday. So time for the second edition this week of the Duff and Quarters podcast. We are brought to you by Tab Touch. Those with the touch, you can better your bet. Download the Tab Touch app. Please gamble responsibly. Please call Gambler's Help on 1800 858 858 if you run into any difficulties. In the studio with me, the man with very small hands, Glenn Quartermain. How are you, Quarters? Duff and yourself? Pretty good. Uh, sad day in footy today. It is. RIP Neil Curley. Knuckles. So 276 games um, for West Adelaide, South Adelaide, Glenelg. 32 for South Australia. Five clubs he coached, four of them premierships. Uh, I will remember him as uh, as well as Adelaide, the Adelaide Crows footy manager in the early days. And I can tell you, Duff, I reckon there's a very firm handshake taking place in heaven as we speak between Neil Knuckles Curley and Teddy E.J. Witten. Great rivals, great mates, made that Vic South Australia rivalry. Both great footy people and great men. Um, but can you imagine the handshake? Uh, you wouldn't want to be an insect caught in the middle of that. I don't, <laughs> I don't think. Teddy and Neil Curley, when they shook your hand, it was about an hour afterwards you got the feeling in your hand back. Well, also, I mean, Teddy didn't just do the squeeze. He did the squeeze and pull. <laughs> so basically, you could dislocate your shoulder and, and break several it was knuckles. Was that like, I'm sort of on top of you, son? Yeah, you know, yeah. You know, yeah. You know, um, twist, twist, squeeze, and pull. But so there's never been a more apt nickname than Knuckles because you looked at his hands and they were all over the shop. They were like twisties sticking out from the end of his wrists. Yeah, he was a great personality, a great, great football person. I noticed um, Michelangelo Rucci, one of the great journalists, yes. uh, football journalists in Adelaide, wrote uh, a short tribute to him on um, social media today. Um, basically, the king, um, he, he basically said, you know, no one more fitting to sit on the throne in South Australia. Absolutely right. He was a terrific football identity. And just to give so much to so many clubs mm. and to bring success to so many clubs, I think, is a great tribute to him as a person. He was a really good person to meet. A uh, really good person to talk yeah, to. Was. Um, Adelaide was like that, wasn't it? When you went to Adelaide for a game, you know, when the Crows were playing or when Port Adelaide were playing, the personalities would be around the boundary line and you could go to them and have a chat to them. I remember talking to Russell Liebert, who, of course, mm. unfortunately also passed away this year. Um, he was great to talk to. Used to sit in the dugout and watch Port Adelaide train. And um, and Neil was, you know, a little bit the same, probably more, more towards the Crows, obviously, but... Um, the really terrific football people, and um, yeah, a sad day for football today. Yep, um, it's certainly the footy's poorer for it. People, our um, listeners will remember him doing the boundary riding too for Channel Seven. 
in the early days uh, after his footy manager at the Crows. Always used to like job. used to like to. He was there as the boundary rider to give you the news, i.e., who was injured. But Curls used to like to focus on the game. You know, I, I think the Crows need to do this. Yeah, he did. I think yeah, the Crows yeah. need to do that. And um, so, yeah, very much uh, uh, very, uh, uh, just a wonderful football person. The other big news today, Duff, this morning is Clayton Oliver has signed a seven-year extension, which will take him to 2030. So you get the feeling that Melbourne, they know that people are coming for Jackson. Um, You get the feeling that Melbourne is circling the wagons now. And I wonder whether with someone like Oliver, it's the longer term, but a slightly lower price, which leaves them in a better position to maybe... um, to, to try and, and mount some sort of rearguard action for Angus Brayshaw, who's been strongly linked to Fremantle, um, but also Luke Jackson, obviously, who will be um, basically Luke Jackson's waved away silly offers from other Victorian clubs. But um, I'm West- not sure if he's going to sign a long term with though, Luke. I think he'd be wise enough to. Uh, go on more of a short-term deal. No, I, but I think what they will do, the ones they can get on long-term deals, they will yep. at lower money to leave them in a better position to hopefully retain. Heavily back in their, uh, their contract share. Well, I mean, you can get the feeling too with Clayton Oliver. What he's already achieved is enormous. He's going to be one of the all-time greats of the Melbourne Footy Club, future Hall of Famer. Uh, provided his body holds together, which the way he throws it round at the contest, you know, it'll be a, a miracle. But uh, he's going to be one of the greats of that footy club. He's strong, but he's not a bash and crash player. You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't squib it. He goes in hard. It's his it's his speed and power and clean ball handling that gets him through and in and out of traffic. Certainly doesn't avoid um, body contact, but... You don't see Oliver crashed into or crashing into others too often. I reckon you see players target him sometimes, though. He looks like at the end of a footy game, if I was his coach, I would be wrapped with him. He would be the flag bearer for me because he looks like he's got nothing left, don't you reckon? Well, I think he's been their best player this year. Yeah. I, I think I think as good as Max Gorn has been at times, I think Oliver has had him covered. And I think Petrarca has... Uh, been a bit off his tucker for five or six weeks. So I think Oliver is... If, if Oliver's not in front and they're best and fairest at the moment, I'll be very, very surprised. Uh, AFL dra- AFLW draft, I should say, yesterday, Duff. And, of course, it's a little bit different. It's a state-based draft. You can nominate to um, play for in a different state if you wish. So as a result of that, it was a little bit confusing for people. But bottom line is, Eagles got seven of the first eight picks here. Yeah, They picked up um, Ella Roberts who's a, um, a charismatic forward with their first pick. Charismatic? Well, that was how it was described by Eliza Riley um, <laughs> and um, Michaela Weston and, of course, two t- twin sisters in Lauren and Zoe Wakfa, which is hard to say, actually, I must say. But uh, one of them's injured, done an ACL, and the other one will so she'll be 12 months away. Um, and I think the general consensus is they've done pretty well in the draft. West Coast. Well, they had a good hand. Mm, um, I think the AFL recognised that West Coast, and, and probably for all new AFLW clubs, startup clubs, it's been tough to build good lists, and and they've recognised that, and so they've given them a very good strong hand in this draft, and and given them a leg up, and that's what the AFL's about. Um, it is quite funny when West Coast, the king of the capitalists, mm. um, get to be the major beneficiaries of the AFL socialist system because the Eagles do mutter a little bit privately about, you know, oh, they're going to give some of our money to this club and some, well, you know, basically you've, you've ended up with most of Fremantle's draft picks in this one, Eags. So, uh, so the other players were Abigail Bushby, Emily Elkington and Jade Britt.
Hamilton and Fremantle have uh, had some later picks. Uh, with their first pick, they picked up Madeline Scanlon. Now, she's a mature age player from Claremont, um, a halfback flanker. Tara Stribley, Megan Kaufman, Amy Mulholland and Talia Reid. Incidentally, Wes, there's story floating around at the moment that the Eagles girls drafted won't play in the AFL, uh, the WAFLW grand yes, final. It's quite a strong... Like, I would... Well, apparently there was an email sent indicating that, so it's it's not just a story. There, mm-hmm. there was an indication that they wouldn't want them to play. I would urge West Coast to rethink that if they haven't already and allow those girls to play. It's a big thing to So we've got Peel versus East Fremantle uh, this Saturday yeah. in the Waffle W Grand Final. Yeah, let's hope that It's goes. a big thing to play in a Grand Final. I agree. I, d- I don't think you want players arriving at your club with, um, let's put this uh, appropriately, crap on their liver about something you've already done that's denied them something. You know, they are WAFLW players until the end of this season. This season ends after that grand final, and then they are yours. Yes, there's a risk, but there's a risk every time any footballer takes the field. Just accept the risk and get on with it. And uh, I think that would be a better outcome for West Coast than go the other way. Um, of the In the AFLW draft itself, so obviously there's some new clubs coming in next year, so there'll be a full complement of AFLW clubs next year. Some interesting names among, among them. The first pick, Montana Ham from Western Jets goes to Sydney. I love that name. Number two, the Hawks, Jasmine Fleming. From Oakley Chargers. So daughter of Damien Fleming, Fleming, who's a very big Hawthorne man. So he'd say. be very, very happy yep. with this one. Yep. Um, so that's, yeah, that's a great outcome. Um, it's always exciting to see these new names. Fascinating to see one of the um, Wakfa sisters basically went to the draft to support her sister yeah, and ended up being big, drafted yeah. herself. So that's a great story. It is well. a great story. Um, well covered by Eliza Riley in the West today. Yes. So that's um, uh, what a great moment for the family. A bit like the moment with the Brayshaws when, um, you know, Angus was already at Melbourne. Then um, Andrew got picked up by Fremantle and then West Coast drafted um, Hamish right at the tail end of the draft. And um, you can see the emotion on Mrs. Brayshaw's face that uh, all of the kids were going to get a go at an AFL club. Fantastic. Of course, Hamish only played a couple of games for West Coast, but really good, solid citizen, really good, solid player at the second tier. Um, got to taste AFL football and, and got to be part of an AFL program. Uh, we should do some tip stuff because we've got quite a bit of mail to get through today. So let's uh, see if we can pick some winners. Yeah. So you're climbing up that leaderboard too in the West, mate? Eight last week? I know, yeah. You, couple of, you got a couple on me now? Well. I'm still on the first page though. I um, The only ones that let me down were my boys. Mm. And they let me down pretty badly. So... Anyway, we'll see how we go. All right, so Brisbane versus the Western Bulldogs. Brisbane are $1.36 favourites with Tab Touch. Western Bulldogs, $3.15 outsiders. The Western Bulldogs better last week against your boys, who clearly didn't understand what defence was. No. Um, Brisbane just going quarters. Do you give the doggies any chance in this? Of course I give them a chance. You know I'm strong on them, but I'm not picking them. I'm not going to pick against Brisbane at the Gabba. This is a venue pick. They are just going, but they're still hanging in there. They're third on the ladder. And they have got some issues. They are quite slow in the back half. But while you're just going and you're still sort of getting the job done most weeks, I think there's a big second half. I'm expecting a big second half of the year from Brisbane. I think they'll challenge. I still have Melbourne as my favourites, but I think Brisbane is the most likely to still challenge. So I'm not off them at all. 
But I, I'm going to pick them to beat the Dogs this week. It's not. It's going to be within a kick. I think I had to pick my margin in a few of the comps, and I picked them by three. So I think it's going to be close, but I'm going to back them at the Gabba. Uh, still a good side on paper. Got a few issues to sort through. Uh, the dogs are building nicely, but just not this week. Yeah, I reckon I'd agree with most of that, and I agree with the uh, lack of speed coming out of the back half for Brisbane being a real... It's, not, so it's almost like they've loaded up their forward line with all their quick players. Um, and, and it's not its not just speed across the ground, it's speed on the ball. And by the way, they're a bloody talented back half. Yeah. Really good back half. It's just they're not quick. But it's, there's also a lot of lockdown about it. Yeah. You know, so Harris Andrews can intercept, but he's also locked down. Starsevich is a super player, yes. I reckon. Love Brandon Starsevich. We'll, and we'll go to the midfield at some point. But you'd like to see him give him a bit more bounce. Yep. Um, Answorth, the same. <clears throat> Darcy Gardner, very much the same. Marcus Adams, very much the same. So maybe um, Zorko was playing there a little bit. So maybe when he returns, and I'm not sure whether he's back this no, week. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but maybe when he comes back, he goes back to halfback and just tries to give them a bit more rebound and, and run in that area. Um, it, so you're, you're on Brisbane? Oh, I'm on Brisbane, yeah. I'll, I'm, I'm not convinced about them, but I'm not completely off them. Carlton versus St Kilda. Carlton, $1.55. The Saints starting to struggle, as Glenn would say, back in the meaty part of mediocrity. $2.45 outsiders with Tab Touch. What do you think? I think uh, you're right about the meaty part of mediocrity. And I think uh, Carlton win this game at Marvel Stadium. Uh, it's, a, it's a stadium that suits quick players. So, look, lots I like about Carlton last week. Do they send someone to Sam Walsh? Do they read the tea leaves this week, St Kilda? Well, they have Seb Ross, who can play accountable. Um, Jack Steele plays a very accountable two-way run sort of a game as a midfielder as well. Um, I think you've got to get control of the stoppage. So it's interesting, we look at Fremantle and we say, well, why didn't someone go to Sam Walsh? Fremantle lost control of the outside of the stoppage. Now, part of that was about Sam Walsh. It was also about Zach Fisher had a really strong game. Matt Kennedy had a really strong game. George Hewitt. Had a really strong and you've also game got well. Cripps in there, yeah. So Cripps, Cripps has just had a solid game, but the guys around him were right at their top end of their capability, I thought. And the other thing that happened, which we shouldn't underestimate, was that um, Tom DeConning played a great game against Sean Darcy um, and, and stopped Darcy from controlling, giving Fremantle any level of control around that area of the ground. So, um, if I'm St Kilda. If I'm secure, I'm hoping for ruck ascendancy for starters. Well, you think, which they should be able to get with Ryder and Marshall. Because if you don't get that, they're cooks. Which you should be able to get with that pair. Yeah. Maybe that pair is the most important pairing in the comp as as per the, the team's performance. And the other thing with Max King going against um, a still compromised set of Carlton's tall backs, just get it in there, guys. Yeah. Don't be too fussed about how you move the ball. Get it in there quickly. Get it in the air. Give Max King a look at quickly it. Quickly being the operative word, Duff. Yeah. Get it in there quickly and Max King will chop you up. Yeah. But if you just muck around, crisscrossing the ground, you give the defenders a look, it's just not the way to play it. So a couple of twin towers too, uh, Mackay and Curnow. So it's always a concern when you're playing against Carlton. Yeah, Wilkie's a good player. But you've got to, there's not two of him. No. No, Wilkie is a good player. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they cope with that. Carlton could not have been more impressive last week, so I'm going to tip Carlton. 
Saturday, Essendon v Sydney at the G. Essendon are $3.05 outsiders coming off a trip to Perth where they lost to West Coast, who before last week couldn't have beaten an egg. Um, Sydney, $1.38 favourites. Uh, Sydney were impressive last week. They were, but don't worry, they're talking the R word at Essendon this week. So they're gonna, they'll be right. The redemption word. Redemption? Yeah. Ah. Have I heard that word every week this year before an Essendon game? I thought you meant they were going to do another review. <laughs> No, they're doing the other route. It's double R. I'd like to see them do a review on the, the review, review, which was originally to review the review. Sydney had a little bit of a lull there, but they're back to playing pretty solid footy. Essendon, really poor last week, coming off an interstate trip. Can't find any value in picking Essendon this week. I'm all over Sydney in this game. I am too, and how could you go any other way? But Essendon are such a fluky, flaky team now. They're just as likely to turn up and yeah, but St Kilda's not. I don't think St Kilda. Sorry, Sydney, Sydney. is flaky. No. So you, when you if you're a bit flaky and you turn it on, you've got to you've got to really have a vulnerable opponent, someone like a Hawthorne at the moment, but not Sydney. I think Sydney wins this pretty comfortably. You can't be flaky when you've got Nick Blakey. Exactly. That's lovely. I know. Po- poetry. Mm. All right, so we're both on the Swans, and I think we both think they'll be pretty comfortable with that. Adelaide versus Melbourne. It's in Adelaide, which the Crows have got going for them. Um, that's about all they've got going for them. Um, Melbourne $1.15 and Adelaide $5.50. Melbourne looked like they were back on their tucker last week and playing pretty good yeah, for Yeah, I don't think they've got nothing going for them, Adelaide. I like their forward line at the moment. Um, Fogarty, Tex Walker, both in pretty good form. I think Melbourne's going to win this reasonably comfortably, but I don't think it's going to be a thrashing. I reckon they're going to win it by about four goals. So okay. I think Adelaide will be in this game, sort of thereabouts in the game, about an arm's length away at half time. Melbourne will get the job done, but I think Adelaide will give a bit of a shout here. So do you reckon that, does the Neil Curley thing, is that a factor at all in this game? I think it it is a factor, yes. Yeah, it'll play some part, but I think Adelaide's playing well enough to be more than competitive in this game regardless. Yeah. Just don't think they can get the job done yet with what they've got. Yeah. But their forward line is a it's a we saw with Melbourne last week how important May is to that back structure. It's so important to to their to back six. So you'd back them against the Adelaide forward line, but it's it's not to be sneezed at that Crows attack. Pretty good attack. Well, yeah, I mean Taylor Walker's been exceptional over the last two years. Do you give him he? another couple? Well, he certainly well, he, gets one. He gets at least one, doesn't he? he? There's no right now. There's nothing on the table. And if he gets one, it's a good one because. There'll be clubs come for him and offer him two. Yeah. So I think if you're going to only give him one, it's got to be a good one and and with triggers to enable him to earn the second one if he plays well enough. Yeah, um, agree. Melbourne yep. by about five goals, I reckon. Okay. What do you reckon? Four. Okay. Geelong versus North Melbourne. Geelong are a dollar one, and North Melbourne are nineteen dollars. Did West Coast ever get as long as nineteen dollars during that? I think they run? might have got nineteen dollars. But I tell you, what, I saw something today on the AFL tipping panel that I've never seen before. Hundred percent tipping for Geelong. But it's always ninety nine percent to hundred percent with Geelong. So even the North rusted on supporters uh, won't go there. It's at GMHBA. It's got a massacre written all over it, this has. Uh, really not much to like about the way North's going at the moment. They just can't seem to uh, string... Well, let's not talk about four quarters. They can't get the first quarter rolling at all, which is where they generally get on the back foot. So 
remember years ago, Melbourne went down there. Basically, Dean Bailey was going to be sacked and Cameron Schwab was going to be sacked. And the result was so horrendous that they decided they had to keep Cameron Schwab and they sacked Dean Bailey. Do you fear for David Noble? This is... This is a place where bad things happen, Geelong. Remember Fremantle's 23 unanswered I lived there for eight years, mate. I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, good, very good things happen to me in Geelong. Actually, I love the place. But, uh, look, I do fear for him, and I fear for him after this game, uh, as I feared for my old mate, Dean Bailey. Went to high school with Dean Bailey. He's a great fella. Um, I do, yes. This is, this is going to be ugly. Yeah, I do. <laughs> it's not going to be a very pleasant hour trip on the Greyhound bus, I can tell you. No, I worry about him this week. They just haven't – look, Ben Cunnington has been such a massive out for him, hasn't he? Like, you put him in that midfield and he's able to marshal them. They walk a bit taller because he's out there. He gets them organised a little bit. The whole thing changes a little bit just because Ben's there. But Ben obviously has been battling testicular cancer. Yeah. And but how's your depth if it's up to one or two players, the loss of one or two players and everything goes pear-shaped? I know how important he is. He's their talisman. He's their on-field leader. But it's the senior player, more than one player. You know, like Jack Zebel is another senior player, but Jack Zebel's been playing either deep defence or deep forward. So he's not in and around the middle where it all starts and where the carnage has been really happening for North Melbourne. North Melbourne has talent yeah. in that area of the ground. And when Todd Goldstein's in there, they have a good ruckman. And even when told Todd Goldstein's not in there, um, Sherry's not the worst ruckman going around either. He competes well. But... I just don't think they're that well organised. And don't underestimate the loss of Tarrant either. Well, he's the big body that takes the big body, isn't he? And that hurts you when you you know, you know, end up coughing up a lot of goals to good tall forwards if you don't have that. Uh, so they've had to mix and match there. Aidan Core was recruited, I think, to be a, a second or third tall defender. He's had to play pretty much first tall defender. Um, Walker, who's been a terrific journeyman footballer, started at Geelong, went to Brisbane, has come back and will finish up at... North Melbourne. He's gotten the absolute most out of his ability, but he's still a marginal player on any decent list, which is what he was at Geelong and it's what he was at Brisbane as well. And Geelong going okay. Great win last week. Obviously, Tom Stewart is out, but we believe Patrick Dangerfield comes back in. So, perfect week for him to come back in. Um, and I think they'll win and it's going to get very ugly. If, you want, if you're asking me for a margin, I'm saying it's close to 100 points. Yeah, I'm going to say the the line here is what is the line minus 66.5 so they've got to beat Geelong got to win by 67 that's 11 goals that's a pretty pessimistic prediction <laughs> I have to say not quite as uh, pessimistic as yours quarters there have been worse lines than that I reckon with the Eagles about a seventy. That point was line. 70, seventy or eighty. For I reckon that was seventy-two game. points. The yeah. Eagles at one point. So yeah. uh, I reckon that's um, unders. Okay. Gold Coast versus Collingwood. Gold Coast a dollar seventy-five. Collingwood two dollars and eight. Loved Gold Coast effort against Port Adelaide last weekend. They didn't quite get the chockies. Um, so that this becomes elimination final time, doesn't I'm it? I'm on your bandwagon really? here. It's a trip to Metricon for Collingwood. I reckon they're due, yes, a lot to like about them, to goey back, but here's the big out for them this week. How? Yeah. He's a big out for them in that back half. Very good player. And I'm going to pick Gold Coast. I, look, I just think at home, Collingwood's been a bit up and about, due for one, 
I'm going to pick Gold Coast. Yeah, I'm it's happy. It's going to be close. I'm happy with Gold Coast in this one. I, I think Gold Coast, I think, should start favourite against most teams at Metricon now. Um, Melbourne got them, but not by much. That was in about round two or round three. They handled Fremantle easily. They handed Carlton easily. These are top five teams. So I think Collingwood, if Collingwood get out of this with a win, Collingwood will view this as one of their best wins this season. I'll guarantee you. This is a good Gold Coast team. It's getting better all the time. Um, They will be desperate because they really needed that four points against Port Adelaide last week. They didn't quite get it. Um, I think Gold Coast will come out very hard trying to trying to keep themselves as a realistic chance of playing finals, and I think they can get the four points here. Richmond versus West Coast. Richmond are $1.12. West Coast are $6.25. This is at the MCG on Sunday, which doesn't help West Coast because Richmond play better there than they do at Marvel. Well, the last time they played was here at Optus Stadium, and Richmond won by 109 points. So I'm tipping it's not going to be a hundred points. I think it'll be. Um, I think it'll be a Richmond win. Richmond, by the way, four goals you can just put on the board. Bang, 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 straight away at the MCG in front of their home crowd. Yeah. So it's going to be tough. I think there's no Prestia, who's obviously out under the concussion protocols. Bolter and Cochin out, and they get Nick Nat back. And we've spoken about the Eagles earlier this week. We think they they're looking better. They're a bit more organised in the back half now that Yo's back there. So there's a bit to like about the Eagles. And I think with Nick Nat, how'd they go without him at the stoppages? Well, we all saw the result of that, didn't we? So they're going to be a better side from, yep. the, from, from the get-go. Yep. So I expect a much more competitive outing. And I'm going to say, I reckon Richmond will win this by about six goals. I don't think it's going to be a, a huge blowout. Well, you and Tab Touch are in far better agreement on this one on the line. So the line is at about 39 points. There you go. Yep. For this one, 38.5. Um, so six and a half goals. I'm going to tip Richmond. I'm going to say West Coast can get within 25 points. Yep. I, I think they're better. I think they've taken a lot out of the last two games. I think they took a lot out of the last quarter against Adelaide. So they're starting to play some consistent football. They would hope that their big names that have been going around for two or three weeks now will be getting better. Um, that's Elliot Yo. That's Luke Shuey, who's managed to hold his hamstrings together. Obviously, Nat Nui back. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how he goes, but um, hopefully he's ready to play some sort of significant role. Um, Josh Kennedy. Josh, big effort last week, which means... You'll does probably, he back up? You'll be sore as does a he, boil. Does he travel? Jack Darling's 250th. We should mention this. Yep. Um, Jack has been a malign player, but I think he's been a very good player. And I think he's been a warrior for West Coast. I think the underrated thing about Jack Darling is that Jack... People say he's no good without Josh Kennedy. I dispute that. I think Jack's record without Josh Kennedy is actually pretty good. Um, he's a bit different. He's not one that the fans warm to. But, geez, I tell you what, I would have loved a one-two tall forward punch like Josh Kennedy and Jack Darling running around for Fremantle for 10 years. Uh, actually, I think one of the stats is I don't. Th- he's in the top. No, there's only seven other players who've kicked more goals than him since the AFL. There you go. So he's been very successful for a very long time. Yep. So I agree with you. It's a, it's a great milestone. He's obviously had a tough year and a very interesting, in inverted commas, start to this year. But whatever his views are off the field, you cannot discredit what he's done on the field. 
man. No. So congratulations to him. For yeah, that. well done, Jack. He's a he's a very good player and starting to play some solid football as well. Not at his absolute best, which is where he was in 2019, I think, and he kicked something like 56 goals. I think that was his All-Australian year. But um, still a very solid player, and you would love him as your second forward. Uh, Richmond by four. Richmond by... Six. Six for you. Okay. GWS versus Hawthorne. GWS $1.47 favourites. Hawthorne $2.65. I'm going to do the blind squirrel. I'm going to say the Hawks win this. Yeah, I'm going to take out some HI here, some happiness insurance. You're going to go for GWS. I'm going to go for GWS. You're a bit dirty on your boys last week, aren't you? I am. We can't put four quarters together. I think GWS are very gettable, by the way, any week to week. Uh, Big three ins likely for Hawthorne this week. We thought he was coming back in last week. He didn't. Gunston in this week. Um, Wingard in this week and Will Day in this week. Will Day really important to Hawthorne in that back six. Probably their best can young play player. Further up the ground. Oh, he is their best young player easily. So, look, I still think Hawthorne's heading in the right direction, but they coughed up 13 successive goals last week, which suggests to me something's wrong with their de- defensive ethos. It's, it's just or lack of altogether. So I think if GWS, if they get it together, and Hawthorne is, are a bit one-paced in the midfield, so you can slice them up a bit. But I'll be happy to be wrong, hence my happiness insurance in picking GWS. 13 unanswered goals. Add another 10 goals to that, and you'll know how I felt when Fremantle went to GMHBA Stadium a few years back and Mm -hmm. coughed up 23 unanswered goals. We did say only five minutes ago, it can be a very dark place to gauge along. Bad things happen. I've I've spoken to... And very good things. Spoken to a couple of people involved in that game, and um, it got so bad, they just... People started laughing, and other people were saying to them, uh, "This is not good, guys. We shouldn't be laughing about this." And they said, "Well, if we don't laugh, we'll cry. We might as well laugh." Well, it was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. Well, I've got some advice for North Melbourne. By the way, we'll just go back to that for a second. If they do, if it's a horrible day for them, two things you can do before you leave Geelong: one, Clapworthy's Hotel across the road, fantastic pub. There'll be open fire. They have a pint there. Just get yourself going, jump on the bus and stop at Top of the Town Pizza, which is right at the top of Moorable Street before you head down the hill again to the ground. Just about the best pizza in Australia. Is and then right? you can get, get on the road and off you go. And which pizza do you recommend at Top of the Town? Uh, oh, Napolitana. They're, they're specialists for Napolitana. Just the basic Napolitana, olives, anchovies, cheese, tomato, that's it. Okay. Nothing more. I'm a simple man. <laughs> Some would dispute that, yes. but anyway. I don't think too many, mate. Um, anyway. All right, we well, I say I say the Hawks win this by 20 I hope points. you're right, Duff. I hope we're sitting here on Tuesday and you are right. Fremantle versus Port Adelaide. Optus Stadium, Sunday afternoon. Fremantle, $1.42. Port Adelaide, $2.88. Going okay, Port. Yeah, they are. They were good last week. They did well to get the points last week because Gold Coast were really good. Um, I'm going to tip Fremantle. I think this is a really important game for them. It's not a gimme. By any stretch of the imagination, but I think their midfield really got a clip last week, and, and deserved to. They needed, they need to respond very strongly this week. And look, it's a growth area at the moment. Where does Fife eventually slot in? How do they, how do they manage the minutes midfield, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? They'll get there. He's too good a player not to have an impact. Fife, um, they'll work it out. They have responded well, haven't they, Frio? They had that that period of about two or three weeks. But when they, challenged. Yeah, when challenged, they have responded well. So I expect them to do so this week. It's a home game. I love Port. I love the way they're – sorry, since round six, I love Port, the way they're going about things. They will be kicking themselves losing those first five games. And I know they had structural problems at both ends, but 
there were winnable games in that period, and they let them slip. Well, even if they just didn't let the derby slip, yeah. Uh, sorry, the showdown that would have made a big difference. Well, it to was after down. the siren, but uh, yeah. nevertheless, um, yeah. uh, you know, Marshall having his best season there, Rosie into the middle going really well. Lots to like about Port. It'll be a really competitive game, and I'll give them every chance. I'm going to say Frio, and I'm going to say they win it by about three goals. Yeah, that's about right. About 15 points, I reckon, is about where the line. In fact, the line is at 14.5. Um, I think that would be about right for this game. Um, Fremantle just needs to get a couple of Ws more, make sure that they're going to play finals, and then they can look at managing. So the the five thing is interesting. I think they need to – there's a couple of things they need to acknowledge. Firstly, I think that Will Brody is now their number one inside mid. So I think they need to acknowledge that. And secondly, they need to turn Nathan Fife and David Mundy, two players, into one weapon. So basically, except that Brody's the go-to guy, Fife isn't because he hasn't done a preparation. And so you're saying manage them off the bench, just try and get run in tandem, but not together. Look for quality, not quantity, from yep. each of them, and try and get quality between them that adds up to a significant contribution, the equivalent of one player. That's what I'm saying. Well, Hawthorne did it really well for a long time with Burgoyne. Yeah. So you can do that with Monday. I don't think Fife's quite there yet. At that, he's not as old, so he's not. But I think they, they can do that with Mundy. Yeah, I think so. And and the main thing with Mundy is that, assuming they do play finals, you want Mundy there in September making an impact. David Mundy is arguably the greatest big game player in Fremantle club history. He, he turns up and plays well in big games. So therefore, try and get him to September in good nick so that he's calm, calmness, his cleanness, under pressure, his great disposal, all those things come to the fore and become an asset for you in the really big game. So once you've locked him once you've locked a final spot in, which will happen, I believe, maybe give him a bit of a uh, spell late. Maybe a few medi subs. Him up. Yeah. A few medi subs, get him a bit fresher, you know, just sort of like take a punt on not getting an early injury. If he does play, he might play two and a half, three quarters maybe instead of the full four quarters. Um, he's a terrific player, David. He's always been one of my favourites. Um, but there have been signs in recent weeks that he was looking a bit lethargic and looking a bit tired. Well, he's getting on. Yeah. I'm excited, Duff. Why? Because it's time for this. Saddle up your camel. It's time for the Thirsty Camel mailbag. Thank you to Thirsty Camel. Thank you. We're giving away... A 10-pack of Jack Daniels Old Number 7 Whiskey and Cola cans. I've got some uh, mail about that, actually. Yeah. Um, but let's start with Jared Smart. G'day, lads. In light of the conversation surrounding Tommy Stewart's bump on Prestia and the ensuing chat around a red card, would it be worthwhile looking at an NRL-like 10 in the bin, sin bin rule? Commit an act that will be deemed suspension-worthy. Go sit on the pine for 10. Would love both of your thoughts. By the way, Quarters, on your inland seafood adventure, this is my pizza in Cooper Pedy, uh, my wife and I had some cracking fish and chips on a day trip to Harvey a few months back. Highly recommend it. It's hardly Cooper Pedy, but it's still reasonably gutsy, fish and chips in Harvey. Oh, come on. It's 20 minutes from uh, the coast. Well, there you go. It's not Cooper Pedy seafood pizza. No. You can't get further from the ocean. No. I mean... At a stretch, you could argue that you go to Bunbury to get your fish in Harvey. That might be 30, 35 minutes, maybe. Mm. I mean, please. Yeah. You know, by the way, I'm going, to, I'm going to preface this whole thing. I'm going to give myself a bit of an out. I was driving to, to Uluru, and it got to late in the day, so I'd always stop and I'd buy a six-pack. So I might have had a couple. Right. And I was hungry. 
Yeah. And I saw the seafood pizza on the menu and thought I'd have it. But. Um, I actually had to pitch a tent at Bordertown once. Uh, my wife and I drove across the Nullarbor. We were going to Sejuna. You couldn't drive the tent pegs into the ground. Mm-hmm. The ground was so hard, all it did was bent the tent pegs. <laughs> so, what? so what we did, we had an esky in the back of the car. Um, we shifted everything we had in the back of the car out, put it to hold the tent down, and slept in the back of the car. That's how we handled it. Duff, you're an ideas man. <laughs> I'm an ideas man, exactly. Uh, okay, from Nick Phillips um, from Leader WA. Hi, guys. Ahead of this week's game between Dockers and Port, I was wondering who is Port's best player and if it's worth sending H as a tag. Then I found out that Rosie is playing better than I thought. In rounds one to five, he polled two coaches' votes. Since then, he has polled 47. Wow. Only Collate and Oliver has polled more in that period. What do you think? Not a bad call. Rosie's going absolutely gangbusters, but when Fremantle goes against Port Adelaide, they really should be thinking their midfield can get it done. So position A, plan A, should be our midfield versus their midfield, our midfield wins. And then you review it if it doesn't go as well as you think. But I'd be very surprised if they're thinking of tag straight up against Connor Rosie. Duff, now just can be patient with me on this one. This is from Paul Fix. This is about bourbon v whiskey. How would you say that if you were a New Zealander? I don't understand. Paul Fix. I don't don't understand this, but I'm going to read it out. Quarters, you may have put your foot in it this time with your bourbon comes from Kentucky comment. Well, no, I was sticking up for Greg and Katie Keeley from um, Kentucky. But anyway, in order to be bourbon, the following must be true. One, mash bill of at least 51% corn. Two, aged in new ache barrels. Three, put into the barrel at no more than 125 proof, 62.5% ABV. Bottle to at least 80 proof, 40% ABV, five made in the US. To be classified as a Tennessee whiskey, all of the above must be true, and it must be filtered through charcoal before ageing, called the Lincoln County process. So is Jack Daniels bourbon? Technically, yes, but Tennessee has decided that the charcoal filtering makes their whiskey unique and marketable. So no proud Tennessee whiskey maker will label their juice bourbon, even though it is. If you want to make a Tennessean madder than a hornet, just tell them that Jack Daniels is actually bourbon. Notice that in neither of these definitions do you see that bourbon must come from Kentucky. We have great bourbon here near Chicago and across all the states. He's from Chicago. I've got a bourbon collection of over 140 bottles and I'm the president of a whiskey club. When you two take your podcast on the road to America, now you're talking, I'd be happy to help you taste your way through the history of America's native spirit. Keep up the great work. Just don't say that bourbon must come from Kentucky. No, I await a response from Greg Keeley on this one. Um, the only thing, I, I look forward to that road trip, Duff. The only thing I can say is I once went to Drum the Docket, Drum the Drocket, which is Loch Ness in Scotland. Yep. It was Christmas Day. Yep. They picked us up from our, um, our place up in the hills. They drove us in the courtesy bus. I thought I'd drink my way through the alphabet in whiskey. As you do. Unfortunately, you get to G and there's about 80 whiskies that start with Glenn. Before I had lunch, I had to sit in a corner for half an hour and just drink water. Because <laughs> I was no good. <laughs> and I, I did come good and have some lunch, but I was off whiskey for the rest of the day, I can tell you. <laughs> Sounds like a good trip, doesn't it? It does. It does. And, um, oh, yeah, okay. Um, now, if that person was from Perth, they'd have to win the booze. 
Don't we'll, you think? Have, we'll have to go on the road, take him up on his offer, and we'll buy him a few JDs when we get over there. How yeah, about that? because that that knowledge, oh, it's outstanding, it's astonishing. Absolutely astonishing. Not finished with the alcohol just just yet either, by the way. Okay. This one from Matthew Richardson. No, not that Matthew. This is Richo from Hammy Hill. Gents, is David Noble a dead man walking now that North Melbourne has broken the Paul Ruse emergency glass case? Also, when is this podcast going live with a pub gig? A live podcast followed by an audience Q&A would be required viewing, especially after a few of Swan's finest. I like that too. Yes, very good. Um, so we've talked about the trip to GMHBA Stadium and what that can mean for a coach. Uh, obviously, that horrendous trip that Melbourne had down there. It is. It does. It can be one of your great victories, and it can be one of your worst losses if the Cats get rolling against you. So, yeah, I think as we said earlier on in the podcast, we fear for David Noble this weekend. Hey lads, long time listener, first time emailer. While I'd love the idea of Jackson and Baker in West Coast jumpers in the future, I can't help but shudder at the thought of what it would cost in both salary and draft picks. While both players look like being absolute superstars, I think I'd prefer to see West Coast take the Frio approach. Instead of Baker, I'd love to see West Coast target guys like Devin Robinson at the Lions and Jeremy Sharp at Gold Coast. Duff, your thoughts? I think Baker's a good get. So I think Baker would cost West Coast one first-round draft pick. He's 24 years old. He's small, but he's versatile. He's tough. He's very clever. He has great footy smarts. Um, I think Jackson would be the one that costs too much. I really do. If I'm Melbourne, I'm saying to West Coast, you're giving me two first-round picks for Luke Jackson. Now, the... The backup position for West Coast might be, well, we could walk him through the preseason draft, but the the player has to be agreeable to that. I don't see Luke Jackson being the sort of person that would agree to being walked through the preseason draft. Such a prized asset. Um, I think West Coast would have to trade, and I think they'd have to trade heavily, and that would compromise their draft hand. They've got to – and, and I, I suspect it ends up not just compromising their draft hand this year. So basically West Coast has to take one first-round draft pick this year. Now, they can do that if they finish 17th or 18th, and so therefore their first or second pick in the draft. They can split that pick. One of those picks will still be well inside the top 10, and the other one might be on the cusp of the top 10 or just outside of the top 10. You do that, you take one of those picks, you keep that pick, um, and um, and you get a good young player in, and you use the other one to get... Liam Baker in the door. That means you've still got one first-round pick this year, you've got Liam Baker, and you've got two second-round picks. Now, before Richmond supporters get up and get And they will. um, All I'm saying is that if Liam Baker decides he'd be interested in coming home. Now, that's a big if. Liam Baker is playing very good football. He finished equal second in Richmond's best and fairest last year. He's a country boy, which means he'll be pretty pragmatic about you know, where he plays his footy and that sort of thing. He won't, he's not the sort of bloke I don't think it's going to be, you know, oh, I need to come home because I'm incredibly homesick. Um, he may get a good contract offer that turns his head a bit more. He may have been a West Coast supporter. I don't know what, who he grew up barracking for. But I do think that's manageable for them. And I think the Jackson one may cost them too much to make it worthwhile, particularly quarters, particularly when Tim English comes out of contract at the end of 2024 and would be considered a good chance to come home and that West Coast would have the inside run on Tim English because Sean Darcy is the number one ruckman at Fremantle. 
Uh, by the way, that was Anthony Smith from behind the goals. Um, just on the Richmond call there, I've just had a call from Transperth. Well, we have no trams in Perth, but they've just been seen tipping over a, uh, a cat bus. <laughs> can, uh, be, can get a bit bolshy, the Tigers of uh, Dave, who's a Sandgroper living in the UK, writes, while there not, might not be a settled name for the Queensland Derby, though I'm a fan of the Pineapple Grapple, should Frio v Port be promoted as the Wharfy Wrestle? I've heard worse. That's good. We Didn't we settle on one? Tropic Thunder for the Queensland Derby? I didn't. Well, I did. I don't really like Tropic Thunder. Shannon's in the studio too. Do you like Tropic Thunder? No, she doesn't. Ambivalent? I don't think we settled on it. I don't think that was the thumbs down. That was, that was ambivalent. Yeah. Tropic Thunder, I'm not sure. It was a good movie. A great movie. Mm, it may great, be, um, great movie. The scene when Jack Black is strapped to the tree. <laughs> <laughs> we digress. We could be here for hours talking about that. Now, this one from Joe. <sighs> And I am from WA. If the AFL was serious about getting rid of head injuries, they would do more about deliberate tactics for drawing a high free kick. This would be about protecting the player from themselves. It would only be a matter of time before a player has a swinging arm aimed at the midsection, which is dropped knee, shrugged, deflected to the head, and someone is knocked out. Although this has not happened all too regularly, it does show the AFL's intent. Don't even get me started about knees to the back of the head during a mark. Keep this head safe as possible. If the AFL introduces fines <laughs> or free kicks, what's so funny? Um, listeners, Glenn's got a bad throat, and so he's sucking on a lozenge at the moment. He hasn't been getting stuck into the Jack's old number seven. I he's... wish I had. <laughs> if the AFL introduces fines or free kicks for these acts, players would stop doing it pretty quickly. Duff! Help me! I don't like players who put their head where they shouldn't put it in the hope of getting a free kick. And... The umpires, I like the fact that when an umpire's, when the umpires pick up on the fact that a player does it, they stop paying them freeze and it hopefully gets the player out of the habit. I think Michael Walters has finally got himself out of the habit of putting his head where he shouldn't because umpires weren't giving him free kicks. Um, and I think there's a few others. I think Ginevan should stop getting free kicks. He keeps leaning head first towards the tackler. Um, well, just, hasn't he stopped getting them? Just call play on. He got a couple last week. Because uh, coming from the GWS team, basically pointed to the scoreboard and says he does this every week, you know. Um, and the umpire fell for it. So yeah, I I don't like it. It called at its most harshest. It's cheating, really, isn't it? It's trying to convince the umpire that something's happened that hasn't really happened. A few players have been pretty good at it for a long period of time. Well, Luke Shuey did it again last week. Luke Shuey hasn't done it for a while. He, he shrugged one up beautifully and got a free kick for it last week. Selwood, Piopolo. There's uh, been some good exponents of it over the Selwood years. Selwood still gets kicks for it too, by the way. Mm, Piopolo won a big game doing it. Uh, this one from Peter Macri. I like this email. Firstly, milking 30 seconds is a blight on the game. The simple change is a player must have completed the kick within 30 seconds. Keep a countdown clock on big screens, and as soon as 30 seconds is up from when the ump blows time on, it is play on. So this goes back to the shot in the goal square last week where the umpire didn't let um, – who was the player? It was a Collingwood player, wasn't it? Didn't let him have the 30 seconds because basically he was looking at the clock. He was taking the mickey, wait, waiting for the you know 25-second mark to come up, and then he was going to walk in, and the umpire just called play on, and he had to rush the kick, still kick the goal, um, then sort of looked at the umpire as if to say, you know, what the hell happened there? And the umpire said, look, I'm not going to just stand there and let you. So the umpires do have scope if they believe the player is just deliberately milking the clock. So you have to look like you're preparing to take your kick, not just looking at the clock, waiting for it to run down so you can kick with, uh, 
you know, five seconds left or start your run up with five seconds left. The thing about the 30-second rule that gets me is that any bloke within 80 metres of the goal can point at the goals and say, I'm having a shot. It should be unless... And then just square it up. Yeah, it should be unless you're inside attacking 50, basically you cannot call for the 30 seconds to take the shot. And you know the other one, I reckon, quarters? The once a bloke has called for the 30 seconds, if he passes short to another bloke, that bloke only gets the seven seconds. Once you've opted to take the 30, next bloke only gets the seven. It's a good idea. Hey, there's a second part to this email. I've always believed that if a player is suspended, the first week must be served against the team that has been impacted. You hate this idea. I like this idea. In the Stewart case, he would have three weeks off and one the next time they meet Richmond. I don't mind it. What if it's in a grand final? Then it's a grand final. Yeah. I, I, I think... Don't do the crime. I think there's an easy answer here, and that is the send-off rule. I think we have the technology to make sure we get it right. Uh, we could have gotten it right when Tom Stewart barreled into Dion Prestia. Um, the umpire goes to Tom Stewart and says, mate, I'm really concerned about that contact. You're under review. The ARC is reviewing the contact. And then when they look at the contact, they go, yeah, um, Prestia's not coming back out, so therefore Tom Stewart's out of the game. I think that is fine. That means that Tom Stewart may stay out there for five or ten minutes after the initial event, but he's out of the rest of the game. Uh, he still goes to the tribunal. He still gets four weeks. Um, I'm comfortable with that. So we've got to pick a winner. Do we do that or do we go with Miles from Margaret River, whose fantastic email earlier this week was on the um, the buy rounds and the AFLW call? I love that. Yeah, Miles from Margaret River, I reckon. Done. You win this, send your details here. This is where they let him into Margaret River. Send He's your mail to bourbon. Duff and Quarters at wanews.com.au. Sorry, I'll repeat that. Will they let him into Margaret River if he's drinking whiskey, not wine? Probably not. No. Red wine only. Red wine. Is, is Margaret River fav- famous for its reds, is it? More it's got white? whites, nice whites as well, but it's mainly favorite for, famous for its reds. It's got okay. both. Okay. Lime burners as well, Shannon's telling me. Yeah, well, lime burners whiskey. I thought that's from Albany. It's from down Margaret River, is it? Oh, okay, nice. They've got one there. So there you go. What's it called? Lime Burners. What are it's they? A very nice whiskey. Is it? Yeah, I've had a, I've had a couple of tipples very late at night. Right. Just to close the night, and it did close the night. <laughs> but in a nice way. Beautiful drop. Please send us in a bottle. Thank you very much for joining us today. We'll be back on Tuesday after the round. Sorry about the voice. Hopefully we have tipped you a winner. Hopefully your team will go okay this weekend. We've been brought to you by TabTouch. Those with the touch, you can better your bet if you download the TabTouch app today. Please gamble responsibly. Please call Gambler's Help on 1-800-858-858 if you encounter any difficulties. If you're a fan of the podcast, why don't you get in touch? Send your thoughts to the Thirsty Camel mailbag at duffandquarters at wanews.com.au. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and of course, tell your mates. Thanks for listening. This has been the Duff and Quarters podcast on the game. You know who? It's unbelievable. Oh.